Good morning, everyone. Um, I would like us to imagine that we're in Philippi, and I'd like to imagine, by way of preparing ourselves for the reading, to imagine that we are that church way back then. This was a church that was about 10 years old at the time that we read this letter, and you will remember, so I'm just going to remind you in case you've forgotten, that uh, Philippi was the first place that Paul went to in Europe to preach the gospel. It was the very first place. I'm sure somebody's been, somebody here has been there. Have you, Brian? Oh, yeah, yes, I knew it. I knew it. And as usual, I haven't, but I have been there on Google. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? So, um, so you, can, you can really imagine yourselves there, but the rest of us are going to have to try a bit harder. So you'll remember that when Paul arrived there with Timothy and Silas, um, and in a dream, he had been trying to go east to, into Asia, but in a dream, he had a vision of somebody saying to him, come to us in Macedonia. And so he told Timothy and Silas this and went there. Um, and when he got there, he found that there was a very small Jewish community, too small that there was a synagogue there, um, and he found a town that was quite well off, actually, a bit like Bath, I'm guessing, lovely architecture. It was quite rich because <clears throat> in the, on the outskirts of the town, there were gold mines. And so obviously, people who worked in the gold mines brought a lot of wealth to the city. Um, it was a town that 100 years before had seen a battle between uh, Mark Antony and Brutus, the Battle of Philippi. Um, so it was a town full of history, well fortified um, on the far eastern edge of the Roman Empire. And it had a privilege of being run along Roman uh, lines. Okay. So this church to begin with was very, very small. Paul arrived and he went in search of fellow Jews. And he found by the river a group of women, um, Lydia being one of them, and we think that they were praying there. And so Lydia already had some sense of belief in God. Um, but it says in Acts that God opened her heart, opened her heart so that she received this message that God, that Paul was preaching to her, that Jesus has died for us and that Jesus has come to set us free. And she believed that and all of her household were baptized, possibly in that very river where they were meeting. And Paul and Silas and Timothy stayed a few days. And you'll also know the story of um, the, the slave girl who pro um, prophesied and told fortunes and made lots and lots of money for her slave owners um, by doing this. And she followed Paul around. And after a few days, it says he got heartily fed up with her saying, uh, making these prophecies about him. And so he cast out a demon from her. And as a result, the slave owners were so angry that they had uh, Paul and Silas um, stripped and beaten with a rod and then thrown into jail, not just into jail, but into the depths of the jail. And in the night, it's a great story and I've got to tell it quickly because Simon's got to go. But in the night, there was an earthquake. Well, actually, they were praying and singing songs of praise that every, all the other prisoners could hear. And there was an earthquake which resulted in all the doors opening. And they had been put in stocks. The, the um, bounds of the stocks came off. 
And they must have been there deep in the darkness. And they, they re the, the jailer came and thought that everyone had gone. And the only thing he could do, he felt, was to kill himself and commit suicide because his, his um, professional status had been ruined by the fact that the prisoners had escaped. And he was about to do this when Paul stopped him. And as a result, that jailer became a Christian and took Paul and Silas to his house, washed his wounds, and looked after him. And they stayed in Philippi for quite a long time. So I think there were three people in this church that we know of for sure. Lydia, Lydia's household, the people that knew Lydia, um, the jailer and his family, and the people who knew him, and possibly the slave girl who was... Um, had this demon cast out of her that's for starters and then the people who they obviously shared the gospel with other people and over time Paul visited at least two more times possibly more um, and so they got to know him well and he always looked at this church as being a joyful church and a generous church because when he was in hardship he you know, to some of his letters to the other churches, he's cross because they're not helping him. And he points out that the church at Philippians are sending him support and sending him aid. So the church at Philippians, well, he loved them like God loves us, I think. Okay, so, that, so I want you to imagine that you are there now in this rather posh Roman city, a bit like Bath, you see. We are the church of Philippi. Okay, so who are you? Think, who are you in that congregation? And now I want to tell you that we've heard from Paul that he's in prison. And the more I read this, the Philippians, the more I felt this was probably when he was in prison at the very end of his life. Well, he doesn't know that really, but this is his last imprisonment. We've known Paul for 10 years, okay? And he really loves us and we really love him a lot. Okay, And we've got to know him because he stayed with us, he stayed at Lydia's, he stayed in our houses, and we've got a little tiny church that's just starting. And we've heard that he's in prison, and so we decide to send him some help, some financial help, some way of helping him while he's in prison, somebody who's kind, somebody who's nice, somebody who will be able to put up with him because he can be quite grumpy at times, let's be honest. Um, in some of his other letters he is anyway, um, I think so. Um, but, you know, a good man, uh, who are we going to send? So I want you to decide now who we are going to send to go and help Paul and look after him. So in rows of two, sorry, excuse me, wake up time. So in rows of two, I want you to decide along your rows, who along your row would be a good person to send who's got those qualities of kindness, who's helpful, who's able to support him, maybe run errands for him and look after him. Who, are, who do you reckon on your rows? Maybe two or three rows. And in, I'm just going to give you a minute to figure that out. Thank you. So you can nominate someone. Okay, I'm going to count backwards from 10. You've got to have made your decision. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 2, 1. Right, okay, good. 
So, who have we chosen here? Oh, we haven't decided. Hurry up and decide. Who would, who, Margaret, fantastic. Well done, Margaret. Who have we chosen here? Oh, sorry, I can't hear Henry. Henry, right, good. Henry and Margaret on that side. Who over here? Right, come here then. Who you? Right, so I'll have you and Margaret and who, Margaret? Yeah, Henry. <laughs> right, come on. And who have we chosen here? Yep, come on then. And who have we chosen here? Marianne. Right, well done. Come on. So, we're just going to do, we, oh, and Brian as well. Right, okay, Brian, because Brian, <laughs> you're not actually going to Philippi, you're leaving Philippi, Brian. Okay, so we're going to have to do a cull because we can only send three people. Okay. We can, we've got to send one person who's got the money gift and then two people to accompany him, okay, or her. So, this is, I'm just going to tell you some more things and you might like to dip out, okay? Because the distance you're going to have to go on is 1,000 miles, okay? This is going to, you're going to be walking or going on a mule some of the way and then you've got to cross the Adriatic Sea it's convenient because this is an amazing road just near here, Roman Road, not the Via, Via, Via Giuliana, but the Via Ignatia. Thank you very much. Don't need me to do a sermon, Des, I can see that. <laughs> okay, so that's a useful road nearby. Then you're going to cross the Adriatic and then cross Italy. It's going to take you two months at least of solid walking in difficult conditions. Does anybody at this point want to drop out? Do, you, do we think we should drop somebody out? Church, look, the church at Philippi, is it fair to send? Is there some people we should say, actually, no, we shouldn't send them? Anyone want to? Sorry? Oh, yeah, I haven't got time. <laughs> <laughs> haven't got time. No, no. I, right. Are you all right for this 1,000 mile journey? I'll say yes, yeah. You're in, okay. You're in? Are you in 1,000 miles and some time on a mule? When happen? Okay, we're going to send you back then. And what about you two? You, you're still in on this 1,000 mile track. Yep, okay, it's fantastic. Okay, well, we're going to change the Bible story slightly then. So, one of you, I'm going to say Henry here. Okay. Did you say no? Is he a problem? <laughs> Are you getting married? No. No, he's not one of the... <laughs> okay. Well, it's for welcome. It's nice that you're new. That's fine. <laughs> Is that what you're... Do you trust him with the money? <laughs> new to the fellowship. Can he be trusted with the money? Ooh. That's, that, by the way, this is the deacon of the church. Okay. Okay, so you're going to be Ephroditus, okay? Epaphroditus. I knew I was going to say that wrong. Epaphroditus. You're the one we're trusting with the money. We all love Henry very much, don't we? We know him not as well as we might. But... <laughs> We, we, we do love him very much and we wish him well on this long trek and we're sending with him one, two, three, four people that we also know to help him on the journey, okay? So, 
You can all go and sit down on, now on that front row over there. It's a bit like assembly at school, sorry about this. <laughs> because, you see, they have now gone. They set off on this long journey. We're in August, so we're going to fast forward time to, I guess, we're thinking, how are they getting on? How is it? How is Paul doing in prison? We're thinking all of those things. We go through August to the end of September, and we're thinking, they must be nearly there now. I hope they cross the Adriatic all right, okay? And then another month or two passes, so we're the end of November, when the ones who escorted them, escorted Epaphroditus on his mission, come back. So the rest of you, would you like to come back again? So they come back. Now, we're obviously very pleased to see them, are we not? I love how you're getting involved with this, it's great. Now, what do we want to know, though? What do we want to know? Any questions? Any questions? How is Paul? Anyone else want a question? How's Paul? And how's Epaphroditus? How's the church doing? So all these things we're desperate to know. So you walk in and everyone's saying, what's happened? What's happened with Paul? What's going on? How's it going with the church over there? But they have this news for us. They tell us that actually Epaphroditus is really, really sick and ill and actually close to death. That's their message. Would you like to go and sit down? And that probably clouds every other message. How's the church doing? That person that we sent, no, you stay there, Henry. <laughs> I hope you'll come back next Sunday. <laughs> I'm super. You're gonna sit next to poor Henry. Oh dear. We do this to everyone who's new here. Okay, so it's all right. Nothing terrible is going to happen. <laughs> okay, so so they bring this news that Epaphroditus is really sick and really ill and close to death. And because we love him and because we care about him, we obviously worry a lot. We we don't know whether he has died or not. We, this is the only news that we have. And I wonder if you had that news of someone from your church who'd gone a long, long way, what would you do? What would you be thinking? And how would you perhaps question everything else that you believe in when Paul thinks so highly of you for all the good things that you've done over time? Okay. Anyway, it takes another couple of months before one day Epaphroditus appears in the church. And it's nearly over. Your job is nearly over. <laughs> and he walks into the church in Philippi and he gives a letter, a letter to the deacon to read. And he says, can you just do this bit for me? Sure. He says, hi, I'm back. <laughs> hi, I'm back. <laughs> and here's a letter from Paul. And here's a letter from Paul. Q reading. Thank you, Henry. Thank you very much. Um, if you want to follow this in the Bible, um, it is 
Philippians 2, which you can find on page 1179, near the back of the Bibles. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show you genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. So I think Henry almost died there as well. Sorry about that, Henry. I, uh, is he still here? Yes. Oh, God. Really sorry. Okay. So, um, so there you see, the, the thing that really struck me about that is the amount of time that the church was waiting for news and the faith that that required of them as they waited to find out what was happening, what was going on because then messages took such a long time to be delivered. And so the church must have depended very much upon itself and its own resources, praying, worshiping, together, encouraging one another. Just two days ago, I took Josiah, my youngest, to Heathrow. Um, he's, he's left for a year and a bit, and uh, his first stop is Taiwan. And I think by the time it got 
to the day he left, I was really so glad he was leaving <laughs> because I was getting frustrated um, to the nth degree, really, about the chaos, um, the chaotic manner in which he sort of gets his stuff together and everything. But, um, of course, when I said goodbye to him and he disappeared through to security, um, I was actually very emotional and felt quite sad. Um, I drove back along the M4 and stopped um, at a service station and I looked online at a tracker. You can, there's a tracker, of course, an app you can get for that to track the airplane, etc. And I looked at that and it said um, that this particular flight had departed. But there was something odd about it and then it said that there was a problem. And I thought, oh dear, there's a problem. So I thought, well, if there's a real problem, it'll be on the BBC News. So I went to BBC News and the headline was, plane wreckage found. Of course, it was the plane wreckage for the Malaysian thing. Um, <coughs> so I quickly recovered my you know, composure and drove home. When I got home, I checked again. In fact, there'd been a kind of 45-minute delay um, taking off. That was the problem. So they're waiting on the, on the runway. It's amazing what you can find out. I could even find out at that particular point when I got home, there was a whole, there's a whole tracking device that tells you that they were at 37,000 feet. And a little bit before, they'd been at 36,100 feet, this aeroplane. Amazing. By the time I went to bed, I knew that he'd landed safely in Dubai. The following morning when I woke up, I checked the second flight because he had to fly from there to Taipei in Taiwan. Um, I checked again and he was over, just, going, just past Vienna. And there's actually a map with a little aeroplane on it flying along slowly, edging its way along, which became a bit of a fascination for me for a while. I couldn't take my eyes off it. But I went away, came back, and it was just coming in, flying along the west coast of Taiwan. And all of a sudden, with eight minutes to go, the aeroplane, which was going like that, just suddenly turned as it must have been coming into land. And it landed. Then about 45 minutes after that, I had a message from him to say that he'd landed and felt like the tallest person on the planet. Um, and then about 12 hours later, I had quite a long message saying that he'd met up with somebody he knew from SOAS and they were gonna, he's going to stay at their house. Um, and I don't expect to get any more messages from him really till Christmas or until he runs out of money. But, um, you know, what a relief that was. Within 24 hours, I knew everything about that journey and I had no qualms other than that initial hiccup. How different it was then, this waiting and waiting for news and not knowing what was going to happen. When the letter finally appears, there are four particular things that um, I think would have stuck, um, struck a chord with the Philippians. First of all, in verse 12, he says, <clears throat> he tells them to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and he talks about God working in us. It's not that we have to work for our salvation, we are already saved, but um, there's something about the fact that we are saved, that we know we are going to die, that we know we are going to go to heaven, that we know God is going to receive us as his own. But there's something about what happens between this point in time and that point in time. What are we going to do then? How are we going to exist and be? How are we going to show and know how much Jesus loves us? He goes on in verse 14, and the only kind of criticism of this church is, do not complain or argue. 
Interesting. I wonder if they had been complaining and arguing amongst themselves about who should have gone, or whether actually one of them wanted to go but wasn't chosen. It's so easy to be grumpy today, isn't it? It's so easy to complain in a, in a negative kind of way. It's perfectly right to say if we're not happy with something, but this, uh, there are people, and you know, it happens to all of us, where we get grumpy and we can easily see just the negative side of things and focus entirely on that. And how wonderful it is when you meet somebody who sees the positive in everything. So even when it's raining, oh, this weather's raining again, and somebody says, but isn't it good for the garden? Yes, well done, you know? And really, that negative energy that comes out of complaints is a blot on, on somebody, and therefore, if you're part of a church and you're complaining and groaning and moaning and grumbling, it doesn't look good in terms of witness for Jesus, does it? And witness, your witness as a Christian and as part of a church community. So he points that out to them so that they will be, he says, blameless and pure and that they might shine like stars. In other words, be a light in the darkness. In Philippi, there were lots of other religions, lots of other temples for different gods, Greek gods and Roman gods, different people sort of jostling for position, but just quietly by being cheerful, not grumbling, not complaining, they could be that light in the darkness. And they could, in verse 16, hold out the word of life. Isn't that a lovely expression? Hold out the word of life. It's interesting that Paul goes on to say <coughs> that he who, who rejoices in all the, the news that he hears, even though he's in prison, he decides that he may be sending Timothy, his very good friend, and somebody that the people at Philippi would have known well, a fellow worker in the gospel. To send, Philippi, to send Timothy would have been a huge wrench for Paul. That he would send kind of his best worker, his right-hand man, to Philippi would show the church at Philippi just how much they meant to him. And then he goes, so he says a lot of good things about Timothy, but then he says, but I am sending Epaphroditus. And here he is. Um, and he says, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor. And that's how we should welcome people like him. He says more about Epaphroditus than he does about Timothy, but Epaphroditus was just one ordinary person chosen from a church congregation, just one person who was good at looking after somebody, who was able to walk a long way. He's not an apostle, he's not uh, a priest, he's not a kind of Simon figure or anything like that. He's just an ordinary person who was willing to go on that journey as were the other people who went with him. And I think often, as Christians, we can sometimes think that we don't all have a ministry, when in fact we all do, because God does want to work his purposes out and is working his purposes out in every single one of us, be it Epaphroditus or Timothy. 
I think this letter that was sent in love shows us and reminds us that God knows our needs before we even ask. It was by a miracle that Paul arrived in Philippi. It was by a miracle that the people in the church are in the church. God decided it. God chose Lydia. God chose the jailer, that, serv that slave girl. Those people came together because God determined it and because they followed him. And all these things are interwoven the place in time, the history, the church, mission, Paul, they're all interwoven, but we are part of that. We share in the belief that Jesus died for us and that he saved us. We believe when we die, we will be welcomed by him. We believe we will have eternal life. Working out our salvation is what we do, as I said, between now and then. How we work, how we pray, how we live together, how we are community. The fact of this letter, the love Paul has for the community of believers in Philippi, his sen the sending of Epaphroditus, all of these things give us, I think, a real insight through time into the mystery of our unity with God through one another. The closer we allow ourselves to be to Jesus in prayer, the more we will hold out the word of life in our hands. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the church at Philippi. Thank you for those early believers who held true to your gospel. And thank you that through the years, Christians have continued to share this good news that we too can share in this letter today. Lord, give us joy and help us to allow ourselves to come as close to Jesus as we dare, that we may also hold out the word of life. Amen.